take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures. We ask you now, Lord, to open them to us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our minds and our hearts. Fill my words now with your power and life that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I am a great fan of the movie series Back to the Future. And in the second of those movies, Back to the Future Part 2, the time-traveling duo of Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brown, played by uh, Michael Fox and Christopher Lloyd, they return from the future in their time-traveling DeLorean. They've gone ahead to save Marty's son and his family from future disaster, only to discover that their time has been altered. It's been completely transformed. And instead of the town of Hill Valley, the town has become Hell Valley. It's full of chaos and disorder and corruption. And it's happened because Marty's nemesis, Bill Tannen, or excuse me, Biff Tannen, managed to use his time-traveling DeLorean to smuggle a sports almanac from the future back to his younger self. And Biff has become wildly wealthy. He's called the luckiest man alive because thanks to the sports almanac, he always wins every time he bets. And the movie unfolds as Marty and the doc seek to repair the whole space-time continuum and put things back in order. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have something like Biff Tannen's sports almanac that gives you a peek at the future to know for sure what lies ahead. And, and let's say you did have a book like this that gives you a peek into your future and you discover that what is coming for you is remarkable. Not so much that you will have all the wealth and comfort that this life and world can offer, but that assures you, assures you that you will have priceless glory throughout eternity. I wonder how that might affect the way you live and the way you deal with your life as it is today in the present, in the midst of trials and sufferings and disappointments and pandemic and social upheaval and massive change. What I want to show you this morning in our gospel lesson in Luke 9, well, it's a little bit like Biff's sports almanac. It gives us a peek into the future to show us Christ's glory and the glory that awaits you and me. Let's set up the context. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that Peter has just identified Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who will save and deliver his people. And Jesus immediately clarifies what it means for him to be the Messiah, that he will be a suffering servant who will be rejected and killed and then raised. And then he tells his followers that you've got to be willing to die too, to take up your cross and follow me, to live a life of self-denial and commitment to Jesus, even if it costs you your life. As Jesus says those words, you can almost feel the air going out of the room. They would probably rather have had, I don't know, 
something like Jesus saying, you all need to get root canals without anesthesia and you're going to pay the full price than to hear the words that he spoke. Because it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. They're confused. And I'm sure they don't like the prospect of what he's telling them. It doesn't sound like the glorious future that they had envisioned when they signed up to be a part of the Messiah's administration. So we go to the text. Luke tells us in Luke 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, after those things that Jesus just revealed, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. The church tradition tells us that it was Mount Tabor. And as Jesus prays, an amazing thing happens. Verse 29 says, The appearance of his face was altered, transfigured, changed, and his clothes became dazzling white, as bright as lightning. Jesus' appearance changes. And it's not something that happened to him from the outside in. It's something that comes from the inside and it moves out. It's a metamorphosis so that he is shown. He is revealed. He is unveiled. He appeared as he will look in the future. Now think about it and why this might be important. Having given the disciples this challenging news that what awaits them in Jerusalem and what awaits well, what awaits the disciples down the road, having given them this challenging news, he gives them a peek into the future so that they see his glory. What he will look like after the cross and resurrection and his ascension. And the picture that the scripture paints is, is very similar to what you see in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, when St. Paul is converted. The text tells us in Acts 9 that it's midday and Paul's on the road toward Damascus. So think 12 noon in the Middle Eastern desert and a light from heaven. Brighter than the Middle Eastern noonday desert sun shines all around him. And Paul asks, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. His glory. So the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration are getting a peak at Christ's future glory because they're going to need it. Not long from that moment, they would face, well, they would face the cross. They would see the face of Jesus, not in glory, but brutalized, a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, marred, beaten, disfigured, scourged. So God in his grace is pointing to what lies beyond the cross. Here's where you're headed. Yes, into pain and suffering, but beyond it, there will be glory. God in his grace is trying to help them. And he's trying to help us too. See, he wants us to see that while there is trial and tribulation in the world, Jesus has overcome the world. There is a cross for Jesus, and there are crosses for the disciples, and we too bear our crosses. But be assured, the kingdom of God will not fail. It won't be defeated. It never will end. And while we serve a suffering Christ, he is also a victorious Lord, who is mighty to save all who call upon his name. 
He doesn't lose no matter how things look. He will not fail despite how it might appear. God says to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration and to us, before you face difficulties, I want you to see what lies beyond to encourage them and us because Christ, whom you love, will be exalted in glory. And this is the vision that we need to sustain us in lifelong discipleship. It's what will hold you in the midst of the difficulties of life. The cross will show you the love and forgiveness of God. But the vision of his glory will sustain you through the difficulties and the trials. And the specter of pandemics and social upheaval and even sickness and death. Be assured, the scripture tells us that one day Christ will be revealed fully in the fullness of his glory. And we will marvel. We will marvel. So there they are. They're getting a peek into the future. They're seeing Jesus' glory. And the text says in verse 30, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The amazement continues. This is like something out of close encounters of the third kind. Moses and Elijah appear, and it says they are sharing Christ's glory. We're getting a picture of something else that we need to see. And the disciples are witnessing, and then write down for us to see later, that human beings, human beings get to share the Lord's glory. Moses and Elijah, they're ordinary people. Yes, they are absolutely men of faith. But they were only men. They weren't perfect men. They were like you and they were like me. Think about Moses. He was a murderer at the beginning of his ministry. And he was a failed leader at the end. He never actually got into the promised land until he's there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are not perfect people. The book of James chapter 5 tells us specifically... Elijah was a human just like us. He was a regular guy, but they were men of faith. They believed God, and that belief was credited to them as their righteousness. And here they are now on the Mount of Transfiguration, showing up to share in Jesus' glory and to talk with Jesus about his soon-to-be departure in Jerusalem, his cross and resurrection, by which they too are justified before God. Here they are hundreds of years after their physical deaths, and yet they are alive and sharing in Jesus' glory and seeing that thing, that cross, that resurrection, which amounts to their justification. This gives us another peek into the future, into our future when we trust Christ, when our faith is in Him and what He has done for us, in his death and resurrection, we will also share in his glory. And, and that blows my mind. I, I never cease to marvel at this reality. Now I want to point out two things that this shows us, that I think you can see. First it shows that, that your identity, who you are, 
continues after you physically expire, after you die. That's what we call it. You don't stop being you. Here's Moses and Elijah, and they're still Moses and Elijah. They haven't become angels strumming harps on clouds. They don't cease to exist after their deaths. They're not reincarnated as something or someone else. They don't come back as movie stars or rock stars or the president or a cow or anything else. Their identity is still their identity. They don't, they don't stop being them. They are Moses and Elijah, and they're sharing Christ's glory. Now, why does this matter? It matters because when God created you, he created you for eternity. You are created for eternity. You don't cease to exist when you take your last physical breath. The scripture shows that you will live in the next life in continuity with who you are in this life. So that Moses and Elijah are still Moses and Elijah. Sean will still be Sean. I will be me. I will be Chris. And you will continue to be you. And that's why a relationship with God is so crucial. The relationship you have with God in this life will be the relationship you have with God in the next life. So if you live your life in rebellion to God, rejecting His grace, forsaking His offer of forgiveness and the reconciliation that He freely gives in Jesus Christ, you will continue that existence into the next life apart from grace. Continuing in rebellion, lacking the healing of his presence without peace and love and joy, isolated, estranged from the relationship he created you to have, your heart will remain forever restless. But if you respond to his grace in this life and receive his forgiveness and enter his love through Jesus Christ, you will live in that restored existence after you die. You, like Moses and Elijah, will share in his glory. That is good news. And secondly, you will be known after death. Now, we don't know how, but the disciples know it's Moses and Elijah there on the mountain. Verse 33, Peter says, It's good we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. They've never met in person before. Moses and Elijah lived hundreds of years before the disciples were born. They aren't introduced up there on the mountain. Jesus doesn't stop and say, hey, let me make some introductions here today. They clearly weren't Facebook friends. The disciples didn't follow these guys on Twitter, and yet they still knew who, who they were, which is super encouraging. I remember sitting with a woman a few years ago who was dying, and we were discussing heaven. It's an important thing to talk about especially when you're about to cross over. And she was concerned about her family because she was leaving behind a husband and uh, several children. And she asked, will we know each other in heaven? Will I recognize my dad when I get there? Her father had already uh, predeceased her. And will my kids and my husband know me when they arrive later? And that's an important question. And the answer the scripture gives is yes, yes. If the disciples knew Moses and Elijah, whom they had never met, surely you will know those whom you love. 
whom you know so deeply in this life. There's this beautiful scene in the movie Antoine Fisher. Stars uh, Derek Luke and Denzel Washington. And Derek Luke plays Antoine, who, who's had this traumatic, traumatic childhood, and it's, it's coming out in the midst of his, his uh, early 20s, in the midst of um, his military life. And he's eventually restored to his family. And they are overjoyed to have him with them. They're delighted to see him and to have him join them. And together they share in this feast with hugs all around and favorite foods and deep belonging. I think it is one of the most marvelous pictures of heaven that I have ever seen. Just simply beautiful. There they are, knowing and being known by the ones whom they love. And that's what awaits us. So we get this peek into the future of Christ's future glory that is shared with those who have faith in him in which your identity continues and you continue to be known. Now lastly, let's be sure we understand how to share in Christ's future glory. The disciples are standing there and they're watching this whole thing unfold. And verse 34 says, A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. God is almighty, all-glorious, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-holy. He cannot be approached in just any way. Sinful humanity flees from the presence of the holy God. No one has ever seen God. In fact, you can't seek God in God's fullness and live. So when God appears, it's generally in the scripture behind clouds or in fire. It always causes fear in sinful humans. That's what's happening here as the cloud of God's presence descends, the disciples are terrified. I, I was backpacking last summer in the Smokies and got caught on the side of a ridge in the midst of a huge lightning storm and I had nowhere to go and I was terrified. And I can tell you that that was only a shadow, a pale little drop compared to the presence of Almighty God. In Matthew's account of the event in chapter 17, we're told that the disciples fell on their faces and were terrified. But what happens as this terrifying presence of the all-glorious creator God manifests, verse 35 says, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The terrifyingly unapproachable God speaks and points the disciples and us to the way to have relationship with him, saying, here's my son Jesus, my chosen one. Listen to him. In other words, do what he says. Trust in him. Follow him. Fall in love with him. Live from his grace. Yield yourself to him. Receive from him. Learn from him, place your faith in him and in him alone, for he alone is the son of God, the chosen one. And when you do, you can be assured that one day you will join him in his glory, the glory of the everlasting God. So there you have it. Luke chapter 9, Biff Tannen Sports Almanac. And it's God's gift to you. 
so that you might have assurance, so that you might have a peace, to give you a peek into the future, to show you Christ's glory and the glory that you will share with Him, that awaits you, that He shares with you freely when your faith is in Him. And it is designed to help us who as yet walk by faith and not fully by sight to live triumphantly no matter what comes our way. No matter what we face, no matter what cross we may bear, no matter what happens around us or to us, no matter what the world is doing, so that you can hold steady and to stand firm and to rest in Him and so that you might be so captivated with this good news that you would be willing to share with those around you. This is His will and His call upon our lives who share in His glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you give us a glimpse into the future. And we pray now, even now, Lord, that as our hearts respond in faith, that that glory might enter in and make us new. Might make us new, a new life filled with the presence and power of Christ, the almighty and all victorious Savior. In his mighty and powerful and wonderful name, we ask this, Lord. Jesus, whom we love. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.